Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. We recorded a whole episode that you'll listen to shortly. It's a great episode. It covers uh, Justin Bieber and Haley Baldwin and some books we're reading, all the Jam Session hits. And then the second we stopped recording, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle posted their, well, it's attributed to Prince Harry, they posted their statement about how they're suing the mail on Sunday to their website. So we're going to talk about it. So this is kind of a little bit of a disjointed episode, but Royal News Calls, here we go. So Harry and Meghan announced today that they are suing the mail on Sunday. And it is, they don't they don't say specifically why they're suing is what the, what the legal case is. Harry's note basically says that he has seen what the media bullying can do. And he actually doesn't use the word bullying. He says, I guess he's seen, he says he has seen what the media has done and references the death of his mother and says it's a, he can't, cannot begin to explain the pain that they have felt. Do you want to read from it, Amanda? Well, he does use bullying. That's why I was going to say. Does yeah. he? Because the, there's a postscript that says if they win the lawsuit, all of the money will go to a bull, um, anti-bullying. This, this is at, towards the end of his statement. There comes a point when the only thing to do is to stand up to this behavior because it destroys people and destroys lives. Put simply, it is bullying, which scares and silences people. We all know this isn't an acceptable at any level, blah, blah, blah. Though this action may not be the safe one, it is the right one because my deepest fear is history repeating itself. I've seen what happens when someone I love is commoditized to the point that they are no longer treated or seen as a real person. I lost my mother, and now I watch my fi- wife falling victim to the same powerful forces. And he, they say earlier in it, this particular legal action hinges on one incident in a long and disturbing pattern of behavior by British tabloid media. The contents of a private letter were published unlawfully in an intentionally destructive manner to manipulate you, the reader, and further the divisive agenda of the media group in question. So we, you and I were just discussing what mm-hmm. this was in reference to. And right away, I was like, oh, it's a Thomas Markle situation. I literally had no idea what it was. I, like, started Googling, and then pretty soon it became a clear, all the reports, that it was about a letter. And so I was like, was there a letter published on Sunday that I missed? Because I am pretty diligent about reading <laughs> every single garbage thing that is published about these people, intrusive or supportive. And I I was extremely confused. You rightly pointed out that it's from, like, a, a year, year and, and a half ago. ago. Yeah. It was basically, like, the handwritten note that she sent that was, like, asking him to stop talking to the media, essentially. Mm-hmm. And— you know, the Daily Mail, I think that the implication is, and I'm not sure this has been confirmed, but they staged the photos with him of him, like, reading about England before the wedding. And, you know, it's just been very clear that the Markle family, including some of her her siblings, speak to the press. And in that letter, she asked him not to. Even today, there was a, there was a video of a, a naked Markle on the Daily Mail. And Oh, right, because he was a, arrested, one of yes. the cousins or something. Yeah. yeah. And... Yeah, so I I knew right away, and then the Guardian had a helpful explainer kind of type of kind of explicator essentially, kind of explaining that the reason they chose that legal action is it's really narrow, so it's possible they could uh, win, right? So, because there's something about the copyright of an actual written yes, letter. She still holds the copyright of that letter which, according to British law. Yeah, which is fascinating. But so they've chosen that was very illuminating to me because it's basically they've chosen this one thing as a way just a path to make a statement. Yes, a much larger statement, which I think it's funny before we were before we started recording and I was talking with you, I was like, I, this is a little Streisand effect to me because which if you're not familiar, it's when um Barbara Streisand got very upset that some random photographer, I'm sorry, not random. He's not quite famous, um, had posted an aerial photograph of her home on his website. And she sued to have it taken down. And I think before she had sued to have it taken down, like... No one knew where she lived. Maybe a th- maybe 400 people at total had looked on this at this photo on the internet. And then suddenly, because she took legal action, it became a big news story. Everyone knew sh- where she was. Everyone was thus... She drew attention to it. And I was kind of like, this is, this is Streisand effect because I didn't even know about this particular thing. And I do think it's interesting to resurface some stuff that had pretty much died down. What you said about there's always a a Markle family story on the Daily Mail, that's true. It's also a sideshow at this point. I think anyone who follows her is like very, and follows this stuff is very aware that these people are being paid. And that story had died down. I think that gives people more credit than they deserve. I think a lot of people read this stuff, particularly in the UK. And whether they know it or not, they might not care. And they just sort of like, I think there's just like an anti-Megan agenda. Well, that's, I think that's very true. I think there is an anti-Megan agenda. And I think like the, obviously the private jet stuff, which, you know, 
was slightly more complicated in terms of the fact they literally did take a private jet to uh, give a speech about global warming. Yeah. That, that's tough. That's not a great look. Also, we both like her, but yeah. so many people don't. Like, so many people dislike her and, like, use so many, like, small things against her. Like, even the way they post to their Instagram where she's choosing the pictures they put up. I just think there's a lot of Megan haters, like, a lot. And so it probably just amplifies the message. I think that's really true. So I, and I also think that the point that Harry makes about it being like Diana is like really valid. Yeah. It, because the particular obsession with Meghan Markle and the way that they are followed around is, it is reminiscent of what happened to her. And it, it it's led to her death. Like almost literally she was being chased by paparazzi yeah. in a tunnel in Paris when she died. So I, I am, I think he's right. And I think that it's intense on either side. There's also, I mean, even the positive attention is really, really intense on her in a way that it's not on Kate Middleton or Prince William or anybody else. So I understand it. I was just kind of like, this is unusual for them. They don't make statements like this. They don't uh, publicly battle the press in this way usually. It's usually a lot more like off the record this is the bargaining that's going on. Right. Or they, like, quietly sue for something and settle. I think like, the royal family has sued newspapers for for the the things that they have a legal case for. They threatened to sue over the Rose Hanbury stuff from a few months ago. Right. And I think there are a few pictures. I think, for example, when there were pictures of— Kate Topless. Yes. And also uh, Princess Diana, like, pregnant on yeah. a beach. It's the same thing where it's, like, when they have, like, a very clear legal case, they actually will take it as a way of establishing some sort of boundary against the press. But yeah. not usually calling this much attention to it. It's also notable the timing, which is on the last day of their, their, tour. their tour, which has gone pretty well and I think has had, like, very positive coverage. I don't know if this was intentional, and I don't know if he meant this, but I thought the way that the statement was released today and he pointed out how positive all the coverage has been the last 10 days and he's like, she's the same woman she was mm-hmm. then, was seemed to me like they were trying to like manipulate the press almost into, into being positive um, these last few days. Also, I presume the Daily Mail knew this was coming. So, or some people knew that it was coming essentially and there was some kind of active gamesmanship going on. I have no proof for that, but the way that it was worded where he says, um, the positive coverage of the past week from these same publications exposes the double standards of the specific press pack that has vilified her almost daily for the past nine months. They've been able to create lie after lie at her expense simply because she's not been visible while on maternity leave. She's the same woman she was a year ago on our wedding day, just as she's the same woman you've seen on this Africa tour. Like, it's just the kind of the calculations were extreme. Yeah, this is definitely strategic. And in a lot of ways, I feel like the conversations that we've had in the past month of like, they need to hire a publicist. Yeah. Like they are not thinking, even with the British Vogue stuff, which was kind of, no one was thinking about how to roll out these various aspects and actually manage the press. They clearly have, and they definitely have like a very aggressive strategy for it. I think they're right. I'm curious whether it works. Yeah. I'm also curious how the rest of the family feels about it. Well, you know, that's complicated. I, not to spoil later on in our podcast, but the Princess Beatrice thing happening in the middle of their own tour, it, it is clear that there are factions in yeah. the royal family, which I think there always have been. Yeah. I mean, in every family, there's factions. Sure. But I don't know, just historically speaking, can you think of a time when a celebrity has basically confronted and engaged not just the press, but also people, attention, like fans, the the world at large, because this is for the press specifically, and they're taking legal action, but they are just talking about, like, the general reception and response to Meghan Markle in this statement. Can you think of a, like, episode where that, someone has done that and it's worked out? Like, has successfully been able to co-opt fandom? I think it can for periods of time. The... One that pops to mind, which is incredibly complicated and not the same, is Kesha over the last few years, Mm -hmm. confronting Dr. Luke and sort of basically taking on the apparatus of pop music. And I think everyone has lost in that situation, essentially. So I wouldn't say that's worked. I would say everyone has lost in terms of um, their careers and, like, specifically professionally. I don't know Kesha, so I can't speak to her personally. I would guess there's some kind of personal relief there, but I, I don't know. You know, I think it's more common for, like, political people to do this. Like, it's almost like like Frost-Nixon feels like it's, like, a relevant yeah. conversation. And, and, you know, as a head of state, like, 
for the, for them as being part of a monarchy that is really just symbolic at this point, mm-hmm. they are somewhere between pure celebrity and pure head of state. And so I think it kind of blurs the two lines. Yeah. The most immediate example I can think of is actually Princess Diana, who, like, in 92 or 93, after the divorce to Prince Charles goes through, she, like, gives this speech where she was, like, she's in public being, like, I am going to try to have a more private life. And I'm, like, semi-retiring from being in public, which— you know, even at the time, people pointed out, okay, but you just did this at, like, a major speech in front of yeah. all of the cameras. And there are contradictions to what Princess Diana was at that time, which is someone whose job and, symbol, like, significance is symbolism and being in public. And so asking people to invest in you, but only so much, and to respect, like, certain boundaries, I, it, it's a tricky one. It's hard. I like it and, is hard. And especially like in this day and age where we expect everyone to share everything to us via their like Instagram story, like instantly. It's pretty hard to set boundaries. The reason one thing I also thought about when I read this was the conversation we've had so much about how celebrities don't need the media in the same way. Mm-hmm. And they just posted this on their website. Whereas like 30 years ago, you would need cooperation probably from like the Mail on Sunday's rival to publish this right. or buy an ad that then like ran as like sure. your your letter to the public or whatever. But they don't need that. They just, they have their own bullhorn and they have their own ways to amplify their messages and they just go for it. And so I also think it's just, there's no other, there's not like the same like historical touchstone because there's never been um, this celebrity moment where both celebrities and the president of the United States like don't need the media. I can just go straight to the people who want to hear their message. Yeah, it's a great point. I'm fascinated to see how it plays out. I'm fascinated. I think we have an idea of how like the media will handle it, which yeah. is not well. Yeah. And I'm not endorsing that at all. It's just we know how the Daily Mail uh, acts. I'm curious how people who are interested in the royals react. Yeah. It's also just such a fucking weird moment because— the United Kingdom is, like, weeks away from a supposed Brexit. And it's just so crazy. I mean, I think that really summed up the difference between The Guardian and The Daily Mail, which is I went to The Guardian, and it was still, like, secondary to anything happening with Boris Johnson. Mm-hmm. And, like, The Guardian is locked in on the future of the UK and its relationship with Europe and then all the implications, whereas the tabloids are not leading with this right now. Mm-hmm. And... They probably would if it was a different kind of moment. But, like, this is calling them out. So it really, it, like, throws a lot of the British press ecosystem into a a weird limbo. So I think it already is for, like, 45 different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. We never have this conversation. I don't know whether we need to do it now because there's a whole other podcast. But investing in the royals in the time of Brexit is just, like, fascinating. Yeah. If Brexit is about, like, what the future of the UK is, then, like, the royals is just, like, watching the last of it die out in real time and watching them try to preserve it is to me really really interesting but seems a little futile i'm curious whether we have them in 20 years you know yeah like i'm I'm curious how this plays out as well and i also um i feel complicated about suing the media but i do think it is cool to see prince harry being so honest and speaking way more than most of his counterparts in the royal family i mean i think he's right yes and I'm just curious to see who agrees and who doesn't. Me too. All right, let's get on with it. Next up, Justin Bieber and Haley Baldwin's wedding. Yesterday, there was a, a wedding. A Monday wedding in South Carolina of Justin Bieber and Haley Baldwin one year after they got legally married in New York. Yes. And I have a lot of questions. Um, you do? Yes, I okay. do. Well, Let's begin with some of their high-profile attendees. Can I just give my general reaction? Sure. Very surprised they're still together. Oh. Good for them. Yeah. I think, you know, on this podcast a year ago, when we saw them get legally married at the courthouse, I think I probably evinced some skepticism, (laughs) some concern over timelines and, you know, general um, marital stability. But th- they are still together. So good for them. Honestly, it's an achievement. I know. I'm impressed. The Vogue article didn't portend that well to me, but I no. was wrong. Yeah. And I I admire it. I'm happy for them. So here are some of my questions about, sure. about their uh, wedding. So they got married at the Montage Palmetto Bluff, which is in South Carolina. Yeah, it's right near Hilton Head. 
right near Hilton Head, which is lovely. It's a good time of year to be there. It's very beautiful. Yeah. I mean, there. this is typically the end of hurricane season, which they got lucky uh, weather-wise. Didn't think about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I only know my mother goes to, this is like the beaches where I grew up going from oh, Atlanta. Cool. And my mother like goes to Hilton Head in October with friends sometimes, except it's always like, I didn't get to go to Hilton Head because there was a giant hurricane and flooding. But that's a separate, upsetting uh, global discussion. Anyway. I think the most famous people at the wedding, other than Justin Bieber himself, who do you think is more famous? Kendall Jenner, Kylie Jenner, or Justin Bieber? All three at this event. I believe... Kylie, most famous? Yes. I was going to say Justin or Kylie. I think Justin has been famous for longer. Mm. Probably, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, everyone has known who Kylie was, but for a while she was just like the sidekick on the show. Yeah. Maybe Justin Bieber is more famous and Kylie has is more powerful. I think that's a good way of putting it. Okay. The date on their photo booth wedding photos. It mm-hmm. says the Beavers, September 30th, 2019. Yes. I take issue with this date. Okay. I don't take issue with the Beavers branding. And then they also had some other, like, they had, I saw like a, water bottle and some other stuff that was all like September 30th, 2019. I understand that was yesterday's date when they had their official wedding. Yeah. But like, that's not their wedding anniversary. So you think that this party... This is like a vow renewal to me. Okay. But it's celebrating the original commitment instead of the new commitment. I I don't know. I mean, I just... Of all the issues (laughs) that you have with this... Your number one issue is that on the photo booth that they hired, they put, like, the actual date. Here's a question. Does the photo booth have technology where it can go back in time date-wise? Probably not. That's so, a great point. You know, I don't know. That's I'm not a, a really photo good booth point. expert. And my, actually, my biggest issue with this is that they had a lot of Jewish people at their wedding, mm-hmm. and this was this was a Rosh Hashanah wedding. Very and, weird. Yes. Though, let me ask you, as yeah. the expert, my understanding of Rosh Hashanah that it was, like, Sunday night to Monday night, correct? It's Sunday night to Tuesday night. Oh, it is? Rosh Hashanah's today? Yes, Monday and Tuesday. Happy New Year, again, by the way. (laughs) Thank you. Like, a lot of these pictures are coming from this guy, David Grutman, who I didn't really know that was. Mm -hmm. Gotta assume David Grutman (laughs) is Jewish. I'm sorry. Also, Scooter Braun, notably Jewish. Sure. Like, just a lot of Jewish people at this wedding. Yeah. That's a crazy move. I I have to say, based on what I know of Justin Bieber and Haley Baldwin Bieber, that they are not really taking the Jewish religious calendar into account yeah, in their day-to-day not. lives. It's not my understanding of their relationship to God or holidays. I also just think, like, if you're having a non-weekend wedding, mm-hmm. Monday night, really? I would go for Thursday night then. I, I mean, I feel like we talk about this every single time people get married on, like, Tuesday and Wednesday a lot. When you're this famous, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. You know, yeah. Every day is the same. And I think it probably, you can get this space more easily and lock down security more easily. Though, apparently, they run it out most of the Montage Palmetto, but there were, I believe, three uh, rooms or three guests that were occupied by people other than the guests of Justin Bieber and Haley Baldwin, which— And they were pissed. Yeah, I— I get it, but also you got to turn that being pissed into just like this is the opportunity of a lifetime because if you're not crashing that wedding, then you're not doing it right. Yeah, At some point, you can slide in, you can get the hors d'oeuvres, you can be dancing with Stormy Webster, who was on the dance floor. I still can't believe that's her name. Like a year and a half later, she's adorable. But I just turn that friend around, you know? That's a great attitude, Amanda. Thank you. I'm known for my great attitude, especially involving large groups of strangers and loud music. So it's just really the hors d'oeuvres. Just think of all the hors d'oeuvres that maybe there weren't hors d'oeuvres. Maybe these people don't eat. A lot of models. Unclear. A lot of models. Which brings me to my next question. Yes. Yes. Who and what did they turn down at Paris Fashion Week to attend this wedding? I mean, Kendall Jenner turned down Chanel because Chanel was this morning. Yes, Gigi saved the day. Yes, exactly. When someone, like, crashed the show. And, I mean, you know, I had the question of did Kendall Jenner turn down Chanel or was Kendall Jenner not included in Chanel? And then this was, like, a great way to save the day. My real first thought when I learned that Haley Baldwin— was getting married in the middle of Paris Fashion Week, and I was like, oh, you're not a real model. Yeah. Which is incredibly rude, but whatever. True. She can handle it. She's very rich and famous and and had a lovely wedding. I, that's a wild move. Yeah. That's like a weird— I mean, it's just— it's For Haley Baldwin, just like whatever. She, I think she actually seems really lovely based on the, the Vogue article. I, I like her. And they're both trying, yeah, they, I think. They both seem like they're trying to mm-hmm. be their best selves. But once again, for your guests, many of whom are allegedly models, very rude. 
I mean, it's a real alleged situation there. But even if you're not in the Chanel show, let's say like Chanel is down with Kendall, mm-hmm. which is possible. Mm-hmm. There's still definitely monetizable opportunities at Paris Fashion Week for Kendall Jenner that I can't imagine the momager was happy about her missing out on. Or herself. No, the, the momager was there also. Whole family. Just a family affair. I agree with you. And I think this indicates that the modeling careers of certain people are not as as successful as they might want you to believe. Though, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's reflecting bad on me. On me. Maybe they actually just chose to skip out I, I, on this. Joan Smalls is legit yes. successful, and she was at the wedding, too. Yes. I have to guess she just said no to a bunch of stuff. I assume so. And I think, like, walking in a show is not the only way to be a model and make a lot of money right now. Yes. So I think they could. But my instinct was just, like, you can't skip Paris Fashion Week for your friend's wedding. Maybe that means I'm a terrible person. I... Which I was at Paris Fashion Week. Me too. That's the other thing. I'm just like, well, would I rather be in Paris? Or listen, the Hilton Head area is really lovely. lovely. Love the marshes. But I would definitely pick Paris over uh, these random people's wedding on a Sunday night. Totally. During Rosh Hashanah. And a Monday night during Rosh Hashanah. I've also noticed that Scooter Braun's like in none of these pictures, didn't post anything. Mm -hmm. I just know he was there because the Daily Mail noted that Kendall and Katy Perry flew on his private plane. Wait, so Katy Perry was there? Yes, Katy Perry was there, She is not in the photographs either. I know a lot of people not in these pics, and I'm just wondering what the the embargoes were like or or whatnot. Right. But I I don't know. I see Scooter in someone else's Instagram photo here. Yes, other people posted him. Okay. Whose are you looking at? I'm looking. It's uh, Rory Kramer. Mm. I'm not sure I know who that is. Uh, Can we talk about the tent? Yes, sure. (laughs) So apparently, in order to get from, I guess it's from the, from the suite to the church Mm -hmm. for like the for the the religious ceremony, Haley Baldwin just had like a full on party tent constructed around her that like moved with her so that paparazzi would not be able to get photos of her dress before she unveiled them. And it honest to God worked because I'm looking at like one, two, three pictures of this tent like moving along like, um, you know, the Nutcracker, yes. the, um, the, what are they called? The Swans? No, it's the... The lady with the giant skirt. This oh, is in the Valachie yeah. Nutcracker and all the kids come. The Polish Chanel's. The yes. Polish Chanel's. And they come out of the, it's like, it looks like that that dress kind of like moving along with all the children underneath. Um, but it worked. So, yeah. so good for her. Justin and Haley both look really nice. Like they both look very um, sharp and, and uh, glamorous. I think they both look great. For their Can we picks. talk about the rehearsal dinner look that Justin Bieber wore? Yeah. So they like they like rode a boat to get to their rehearsal dinner essentially, and I thought she looked great. I really liked what she she wore like a short white dress. Sure, if you can pull that off, he didn't wear really, it every day. He didn't really look like he was on the same <laughs> level as her. Well, he just looked like he was dressing to like go to a a, a golf club yeah. in South Carolina, and it I was like, like you're Justin Bieber in the hotel. Like, yeah, he he's wearing to like a white Lacoste it. polo. That's like fits tucked into to black pants and boat shoes. I was just—it so, looked just like he was literally cousin. like trying to impress the parents yeah. at some weird uptight event. Just like a cousin who showed up for the for the dinner and didn't really think too much about it. Yeah, she really does look great, though. I don't know. I feel like hopeful for these two. I hope they have a happy life. Can we talk about how Camilla Morone was there without Leo? Sure. I just, that really cracks me up that Leo's just like, no, I'm not going to do that, but you have fun, kiddo. It's like teens night out at the Justin Bieber, Haley Baldwin. (laughs) I mean, Haley Baldwin's 22 years old. That's very young. Yeah. And he's 25. Yeah. And he's been famous for half of his life, which is so nuts. I wish them well. It seemed like it was a great party. Everyone was on the dance floor. I, I think they... I'm impressed by the star power, but not blown away. This is real, like, Instagram Gen Z celebrity wedding. Yeah. I, I agree. Jaden Smith was there. Yeah. All, it, all the famous kids of Hollywood, basically. Everyone who's, like, 20 to, to 27. That's true. But maybe it's just because I don't follow these people as much. But it does also feel like they invited their friends. Yes, they definitely And they are did. friends with, like, a lot of Instagram famous people who you know a lot about. But instead of it being some sceny thing where they're trying to get everyone photographed, yes. it's like, it's they invited their friends. It did seem like a nice, like, intimate, like, kind of weirdly tasteful event. 
Weirdly normal. Yeah, weirdly normal. That's the thing about Justin Bieber is I think he just does, in his heart of hearts, like, at this point, kind of want to be normal. I don't think that's possible. No. Nor does he know what normal really is. But he thinks he wants to be normal. Right. He, and actually. he, yes, he does it actually. And and the reason I think they actually go well together is because neither of them know normal. Correct. So they they make their own normal together. It's That's very sweet. True. Congratulations to them. Congratulations. Congratulations to the three people at the montage who got to crash the wedding of the of the century. Just incredible stuff. Okay. Next, yeah. exciting news out of the UK. Adele, one of my favorite pop acts of all time, and maybe in top two vocalists of all time for me. Top three. Who are the other two? Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey. Okay, great. That's my big three in terms of vocals. Um, (laughs) Allegedly dating Skepta, the grime singer slash rapper who was like really popular on the internet, I would say from like 2013 to 2016. Mm -hmm. And now- when I learned what grime was. And everyone was just like, well, grime, make it in America. Well- no, but. Uh, yeah, it, it will not. It didn't even make it that long in the UK. He did do a remix of um, uh, the Ed Sheeran song, Shape of You, which I think got him mad, oh, yeah. mad buck. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> these two are rumored to be dating. They were seen at like, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. But. Let's describe it because this is, shout out to Hannah J. Davies of The Guardian. She wrote an article for what is one of my favorite sections in all of media, the life and style section of The Guardian. Okay. And it's just like full of gems all the time. Um, she wrote an article about Adele and Skepta's Crystal Maze date. And the headline was, was Adele and Skepta's Crystal Maze date the ultimate romantic experience? Here's how she describes what they did. The pair were recently spotted enjoying an evening out at the Crystal Maze Live Experience in London, where they locked eyes as Skepta alluringly filled small bowls with sand to release a crystal, and Adele roared, start the fans, please, so loudly that the dome shattered into a thousand pieces. Dot, dot, dot. Well, something like that anyway. So this is very, like, already, this is fan fiction. Yes. To begin with. Yes. (laughs) And then it goes on to, um... Just sort of explain that this is basically like a tourist trap in the middle of London. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like going to one of the like temporary pop museums in Times Square, essentially. So I did a little bit of Googling. My understanding is that the Crystal Maze was like a 90s competition TV show. Based on what I read, it seems similar to like Legends of the Hidden Temple. But possible or mixed with like American Gladiator or something in that mix of there are like athletic activities and things that you have to compete, but there's a team experience and also there's like some mythology somehow, which explains the crystals. I don't really know. And now it is a, it's sort of like playing laser tag, but with branding is my understanding of it. Yes. And you can like rent it out for like corporate events or you can just go. And it seems super British and like it's super Mm -hmm. cheesy. I'm sure I got all those references wrong. So British people be in touch politely. I was reading uh, I was reading a book this morning and yes. there's a, a British reference and I was like, I know that I don't get this joke. Yeah. Like, this is not for me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> all of this tracks from what I know about Adele. Like here, here's what we know. Here's what we do know for Adele about Adele and Skepta. Instagram friends, mm-hmm. both from Tottenham. Mm-hmm. She has commented on his Instagrams a lot and they've been friends for a long time. Mm-hmm. And when I saw this headline, which came to which came to everyone via the sun yes. of, of England, Chris Ryan sent us the link. Um I was like, oh, she just moved back to London. Like, that was my response. Like, when she was married, she was living in L.A. in right. Beverly Hills. I think I think it was it was noted a few months ago. She sold that house. And I was just like, oh, she moved back. She's down with America. She's living in England again. She did sell that house? I think it went on the market. Because I read something else about she also bought another house, one. like, across the street for her husband. Right. Or her now soon-to-be ex-husband. Yeah. Well, so, maybe she needs yeah. both, both a continent and an ocean between them. <laughs> New house for you while I go over here. Um... I, it totally seems plausible. And like this, like Adele is like, if she is nothing but a fan, like one of the, like the, not that much is known about her private life. Right. But like, she's very open about like, just like geeking out and being a fangirl of various, of Nicki Minaj and Beyonce. And like, she just is like really into things. And I could see her like being a huge Skepta fan and mm-hmm. friend. Mm-hmm. And it just like her getting back to London and be like, hey, let's try this out. I enjoyed all the like slightly more measured versions of this gossip report, which was like, 
Friends note that they have been spending a lot of uh, friends and have been spending a lot of time together and think this could be a good foundation for a relationship going forward. And I'm like, well, that just seems very practical and reasonable. I do think it's a good foundation for a relationship going forward. Do what you want, Adele. They're both parents. Yeah. I was just really jarred to be reminded that uh, Adele is now 31 years old. That seems like old to you? Yeah. I just think of her as like 19 I regret to inform you that she's still younger than both of us. I know, but... (laughs) I just feel like I can't believe Adele's been in my life that long. Yeah, like, that's true. That's what's shocking to me. But that's that's exciting. Yeah. You've I, grown up with Adele. Just give me some new music, girl. I, just, isn't she going to? Yeah, I think apparently in 20, the end 2020. Of Speaking of new music, did you happen to see the Lady Gaga tweet that happened like 30 minutes ago? No. So, I, I mean, I don't know whether this is a joke or not because the mysteries of Lady Gaga are, are many for me. But she just tweeted, I'm naming my next album Adele. Oh, my God. I I don't know. I mean, it and people seem to be taking this somewhat seriously. There are a lot of Adele rumors happening right now. There was a rumor that she and Beyonce were collaborating on like a One Republic tribute album or something like oh, that. Oh, I did see that. And then that was uh, that was just they were all disputes that notion very quickly. I, there's a lot of Adele on the ether, and I'm, obviously I'm into it. Love Adele. That that all kind of seems like she's reemerging from privacy in order to start promoting an album that I I thought I read was the end of this year. I would love that. That would be very exciting. That would be four years since 25. Yes. Which I think that... That came out in the, like, fall of... Yes, it was November of 2015. Mm-hmm. And I carry around a Zane Lowe soundbite on my phone from when they debuted Hello on Apple Music. <laughs> it was raining that day in L.A. Um, Zane Lowe, I'm your biggest fan. Um, <laughs> but that makes sense because 21 came out in 2011 mm-hmm. and um, 25 in 2015. So mm-hmm. kind of on track. It also kind of makes you wonder whether getting the divorce announcement out of the way way before clears it and then also sets up a um a, a subject matter for the upcoming album as well. Yes. Yeah, great stuff. Ugh, I can't wait. I just sometimes I just listen to someone like you on repeat and mm-hmm. and it's just so soothing and so beautiful and so emotional and just amazing. She is really remarkable in that she is both um, a, a vessel for deep emotion and sadness and melodrama and also seems like the most fun person in the world. And yeah. it's just like enjoying life all the time. That's kind of what makes her a great mm-hmm. celebrity and performer is that she, her work is like so moving and so meaningful to a lot of, to like so many people. Yes. But she managed to carve out like a personal life for herself as mm-hmm. well. She's just great. I absolutely love her. I wish her and Skepta well, if that's what they want. If that's what they want, that's what I want. Next, Princess Beatrice, the older sister Mm -hmm. of Princess Eugenie, who got married last year, and Mm -hmm. I recently revealed I watched her wedding two times, um, (laughs) got engaged. I just wanted to talk about the timing of this. Okay. Because I just really enjoyed that they announced this right smack in the middle of uh, Harry and Meghan's tour throughout Africa. Can't imagine the royal family wants a lot of focus on on the Yorks right now. Well, I also thought it was just revenge because famously Meghan Markle informed the entire royal family that she's she was pregnant at Princess Eugenie's wedding. Right. So I just saw it. I was like, wow, they hate each other. At the, like, the rehearsal dinner, yeah. right? Yeah. No, I thought it was like the day of oh, at I the reception. I thought it was the night before. Whatever. And Either it, way. I, you know, so major upstaging. So then they were, they like took the social media feeds back, which I was just like, these people hate each other. It's like really apparent. The and Cambridges and the Sussexes did not congratulate them though. All the other royal accounts posted about it. <laughs> right. But the Cambridges and the Sussexes did not. Which I think, as you pointed out, is because no one wants to be anywhere near the Yorks right now. And it seems like that's going to get a lot worse. Definitely not going to get better. Yeah. Very, very tough. I do wonder whether how public this wedding will be as a result. Like, will I be watching it on TLC? Probably not. <laughs> is that what you watched it on? Yeah. Yeah. That's who broadcasted it here. In I mean, if they broadcasted it, I'll watch it. Let's be honest. It's important not to sure. kid ourselves. Sure. Yeah. I'm happy for her, I guess. I don't have strong feelings about Beatrice and Eugenie. Okay. They really remind me of... Yeah, Cin- you watched her wedding twice. Well, anything for a royal wedding. They really remind me of, like, Cinderella's bad stepsisters, which is maybe not fair, but that's just how I think of them. I think it's because of those images from... Will and Kate's wedding when they were wearing the weird hats. Yeah. And it did have, I think they were even kind of wearing dresses that matched in colorways to the two 
sisters from the cartoons, which is a tough break. I also really like the movie Ella Enchanted, starring Anne Hathaway, and I think Beatrice looks like one of the sisters of the evil stepsisters in that movie. Okay. Have you ever seen that movie? No, I haven't. You would probably have to just, like, go into a closet <laughs> and hide. There's a lot of singing, um, including Hugh Dancy and Anne Hathaway singing Queen's hit Somebody to Love. Okay. And... Um, it's just very—I love it, but it's really What's stupid. the plot of Ella Enchanted? Um, Ella is Anne Hathaway. Sure. And <laughs> she is a Cinderella-type character. Her father is either dead or MIA. I think MIA. And she was cursed with obedience by some fairy played by Vivica A. Fox when she was a young girl. So, so she has to say yes when she's told to do something. And she goes on this journey to try to break the spell— but how her, her like evil stepsisters like abuse it and stuff. Okay. This is who else is in this movie. Carrie Always. Okay. Parminda, I forget her last name from Bendit Like Beckham, among many other things. Okay. PR. Hugh Dancy and Anne Hathaway, wildly famous people. Uh Vivek A. Fox. Like it's just like a weird mishmash of people and songs and and fairy tales. And it's based and on it's Cinderella. Yeah. But very oh, Ella, I get Ella. it. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Congratulations, Beatrice. <laughs> Great stuff for her. <laughs> Okie dokie. Brad Pitt rumors. Rumored to be dating a jewelry designer. Yeah, so I don't think that we believe this, but I think there's also... I'm just going back to our conversation a few weeks ago and the idea of how Brad Pitt meets women, what his relationships with women look like, what type of women, how it works out. And I, you know... This seems like the correct model, which is like they were at a a benefit for the Silver Lake Music Conservatory last year. And I think they were at some other sort of public charity benefit this year. And so it's like groups of elite, you know, wealthy people where he kind of feels safer circulating and it's very casual. And like... This rumor was debunked in terms of a serious relationship very quickly, and I, I'm sure that's probably the case. Again, dating is a euphemism. But I, you know, it's it's interesting when a name actually breaks through because of the level of secrecy and security around Brad Pitt. It seems like he's done with actresses. That's my takeaway. Yes. It just seems like he's no longer interested in being involved with actresses. He probably thinks it's, like, too much of a headache or he's—I don't know what it is. Or maybe he just—he does seem like he's interested in, like, learning. So maybe he wants to, like, learn from the women he's sleeping with. I don't know. But it just—my impression is he is looking for, like, highly skilled women. Creative types. Yes. With a certain type of energy of— with interest in design, yes. still, that's the through line. Between, like, Mary Oxman is the other name that has been associated with him, and I'm still—we're still not sure if anything actually happened there. But I hope it did. For her, for everyone's for sake. For everyone's sake. But sure, uh, people who are interested in design and art and how things look. Um, women of appropriate age, yeah. shout out to him. Yeah. And, yeah, I think also women who are not— in the spotlight. It, it would honestly be impossible if he started dating. I guess I guess he was like, quote, linked with Charlize Theron, but I don't actually believe that. I don't either. Yeah, that seems like some life and style made up stuff. He's just a, he's a wonder. Yeah. I just, I, you know, I think it's interesting when the facade cracks just slightly and you kind of see what's going on. A lot, a lot of charity benefits and creative women of the east side of Los Angeles. Should, so, we, should I be trying to go to those benefits? Yes, that's why I was like, so now <laughs> I have a goal for fall 2019. Last week, uh, former Bachelorette contestant Tyler Cameron came to the office. Yes. At which point we were discussing who's hotter, Tyler right now or Brad Pitt and Thelma who's, and Louise. Who is we? Me and Kate Halliwell and Liz Kelly of okay. Ringer Dish. And one of our other co-workers. Okay, I haven't Jack. listened to the entire podcast yet, so I was concerned that happened on the podcast with no. Tyler, and I was <laughs> no, no. like, I, you guys are tremendous. There's plenty of things I'm willing to discuss with Tyler. The okay. Fact, the fact that I compare him to Brad Pitt is not one of them. Okay. Um, Do you think Tyler's seen a Brad Pitt movie? He doesn't see a lot of movies. Oh, that's, that's true. That you. was one of the things I learned from your last podcast with Tyler. <laughs> anyway. I just want you to know that I picked Tyler over Brad Pitt and Thelma and Louise. And and Chris Ryan yeah. thought this was insane. I, I No, I agree with you because Thelma and Louise, Brad Pitt is not the pinnacle for me either. It's just Can not. I tell you my really insane take? Yeah. It's is actually it? not that insane. It's, it's honest. It's from the heart. So a few months ago, 
maybe even last year, I would say, but I think like there was some sort of like media Twitter, I believe it started its late conversation of like at what single moment on film is Brad Pitt the hottest? Uh-huh. A lot of great answers. My answer is actually from um, the curious case of Benjamin Button. Oh my God. Which is when Brad Pitt does play an old baby for a lot of the movie, <laughs> but it's kind of like, so he's trapped in an old baby's body and I guess is getting younger as time goes on. Anyway, Right at the middle, when he's just, like, hot 50s, normal-ass age Brad Pitt riding a motorcycle. Uh Uh-huh. It's really, really, really effective. But this is all by way of saying, I think Brad Pitt is one of those people who has gotten hotter as he's older. And I was going to say, I I think for me, it's 55-year-old Brad Pitt. (laughs) For me, it's also uh, Moneyball is in there. I was going to say Moneyball while he's he's driving. When he's wearing the gold chain and working out and you're just like— I like when he's driving. Yeah, but I think it's post-40 Brad Pitt because he really, like— ages into his body and it's not it's not quite as like Fabio you he know he also moves away from the pixie haircut like I didn't like it when he had the same haircut as Gwyneth Paltrow it's not my favorite either uh I think for me really revised it's Ocean's 13 press tour that's kind of okay when I when things really hit for me and Brad Pitt okay but yeah he's just he's great he's so. doing great <laughs> but anyway that's my way of saying I agree with 26 you 26 year old Tyler over 26 year old Brad Kaya, what do you think? I'm going to have to go for 26-year-old Brad. Just because that Brad Pitt from Thelma and Louise is my favorite Brad. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Now I feel old. Okay. Anyway, I just wanted you to know. Okay. That's great. I support you. (laughs) Thank you so much. And we also support Tyler, of course. Yes, of course. And Brad Pitt. Um, Next. Yeah. Book Corner. Book Corner. Amanda, what are you reading right now? So I spent this weekend, I'm so excited. I just like shoved Book Corner into this podcast because I great. really just wanted to tell you about it. Um, I spent this weekend reading She Said, which is the book written by uh, Jody Cantor and Megan Tuohy, uh, who broke the Harvey Weinstein case. They're the New York Times reporters. And they won the Pulitzer and they wrote a book about putting that story together and how they wrote the Harvey Weinstein case. And it is fascinating. (laughs) And I was just, I was riveted. I mean, it's a little bit of journalism nerd stuff here because they just explain how they got this story and what they did. And they tell you, like, the emails and the text messages that they wrote to Ashley Judd and Gwyneth Paltrow and to all of the other women who worked at the Weinstein Company. They talk, it's like really a timeline of how they do it. And, you know, if you're interested in how this stuff happens or... You know, it's much cheaper than journalism school and, like, possibly more effective. Probably, yeah. I thought that was so fascinating. And What was, like, the biggest revelation to you? Well, in in terms of specific interactions or— I think in the on the process, like, how they did it. I thought it was so interesting because they explain how they convinced the the many women um, to speak to them because, obviously, every single— woman who uh, spoke to the New York Times or the New Yorker or any of the other um, journalists who are covering this story, like, took on a huge amount of risk. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's basically exposing a very traumatic experience and exposing yourself to the derision of a lot of people. Because before this, remember, like, no one believed anybody. And so I both Jody Cantor and Megan Tuohy just kind of talk through what they say to these people and how they explain, like, why it's important. And um, this idea that it's not about, you know, it's not about getting the story. It's about making sure that something doesn't happen to someone else down the road. And and how they adjust to each person's concerns and specific situation. It really is, like, the amount of emotional intelligence and, um, honestly, like— therapy that goes into it and just really working with each of these women yeah, to support them, I think, to get them to the place. And I think the knowledge that both the writers have of how difficult it is to do something like this and the difficult position that they're putting these women in and the consequences of it yeah, and working with all of their sources to make them feel comfortable is just really fascinating. That's really interesting. Um, this is going to sound cynical and reductive, yeah. but I hope it— it, it it is interpreted not that way. But has this been optioned? Because it sounds very similar to, I un- been, to I, Unbelievable. I, it was the first thing I thought. 
I Googled it. I, you know what it is? It's like, it's unbelievable meets all the president's men. Mm-hmm. And I would absolutely watch an, like a film yeah. version of this because it's really riveting. And I have been Googling it and I haven't been able to find anything. I find it really hard to believe that it has if it hasn't been optioned. Yeah. Or, or unless or unless like the Times has a plan with like a partner, like yeah. they obviously do their own development stuff too. But um, you know, it's like I, in terms of spotlight and all the president's men and those kind of journalism movies of just like how we got this case, it yeah. certainly fits. Um and they also do such a great job of explaining everything to do with the all of the NDAs and the settlements and kind of this this structural elements of sexual abuse yeah. and harassment that they uncovered and how they pieced it together. And I walked away with a much better kind of legal and fundamental understanding cool. of that as well. It's just, it's tremendous. Obviously, their work has been tremendous for several years now and yeah. has like changed. It was also interesting. I, it's almost two years ago, I two think, years, this yeah. week to reflect a little bit on how much the things have changed in the way we think about all of these cases and the way we talk about them and the expectations. It's like, I I know it's, the world is often feels very defeating, but I was just like, wow, it really, they talk about how no one would have been believed like two right. years ago. And, I, and that's really true. Right. So it's remarkable. That it really is, it's powerful. And I think also like for you and for me, yeah. we're so enmeshed in internet writing and reporting every day that's really hard to keep track of the wins and the gains. Right. But obviously there are significant right. ones. Right. And you know, there have been gains and also losses. And and the thing I love about this book is they engaged with like the complicated version of it. Cool. And it's like still very much, things are still changing. Like this is a movement in progress. But I, it's and it's so readable. That's it's awesome. Great. I really you're recommend inspiring it. me to read it. How yeah. long was it? So I, it's like 250 pages. I really, honestly, just cool. I stayed up way too late That's reading awesome. all of it. It's great stuff. Cool. I was going through a reading drought. I started several books and like none of them took. I just mm-hmm. was like, just couldn't, couldn't find my groove. And I just like kept trying all these books. And I was like, eh, I'm just not that into this. And then I, a friend of mine reminded me, my friend Brad, who's reading this book as well right now, that the new Jonathan Coe book is finally out in the U.S. <gasps> it's called Middle England. And it's awesome. I love it. I started it last night. I woke up early to read this morning. And it is about basically an extended family kind of, it hasn't happened yet, but grappling with Brexit. It starts in 2010. Oh, wow. And the family, they're based in the Midlands, which is the middle of England. They're like kind Mm -hmm. of in and around Birmingham. Um, And... It is just very much like uh, about like a family navigating the like what they perceive to be like a changed world. And there's a lot of like characters going on the sides, like talking about mm-hmm. um, nostalgia for the '70s for the older characters and the younger characters, like sort of being dopey and and how they deal with their own like prejudices. But it's like not heavy handed. It's political, but it's not heavy handed. Is it's it satire also... or is it no? It's, it's not. not. It's okay. not satire. I've only um, read the Jonathan Coe satire, but yeah. I'm sure he has different modes. He does. This reminded me more of one of my favorite books, um, Capital by John Lanchester. It's more on that level. Okay. It reminds me very much of like, I, I have a feeling there'll be some kind of like sardonic or sarcastic twist because it is Jonathan Coe. And it's, it is funny. Like mm-hmm. there's like a, it's very, it's very wry, like a, like a British person. And uh, I, I really, I really love it so far. It's really good. It's also like immensely readable. And it feels really relevant without being um, too heavy-handed. Uh, and it also is like, just for me, it's the kind of book that feels like a refuge where it's just sort of, it's like stepping back from the world that we're currently in from like a few feet and putting it through a specific lens like that I can understand. And I find it to be like a safe, like a safe place like while reading it. It's very good. That sounds great. I will put it on the list. I love Jonathan Coe. I, I found Jonathan Coe after I finished reading all of David Lodge's novels. Mm-hmm. And um, he's really wonderful and really smart. And Amanda, you just read The Winshaw Legacy, which is about— um, Is that what I— It's that, called, In the U.S., it's called The, the Winshaw Legacy. In, okay. In the U.S., it's called What a Carve-Up. Yes. Correct. And I did sorry, read that. In the U.K., it's called What a Carve-Up. Um, and it's, a, it's about basically this one reporter who kind of, like, descends into madness as he's kind of trying to investigate a Murdoch type of family in mm-hmm. the U.K. And it's really good and funny. It's fantastic if you enjoy Succession, if you enjoy British things, which if you're at this point in a jam session, you probably do. Yeah, it's like, um, it's like kind of gothic, like a, like a modern yeah, gothic. There, there is like an Agatha Christie element to yes. it, which is, for, to my interest, certainly. I was like, I can't believe this exists. But um, And then the, there's like a loose sequel to it, which is also really right. good, called Number 11. He's a great writer who, for a while, was very, I think, preoccupied with the idea of madness in sort of everyday lives. He also wrote a book 
called, what I loved, called House of Sleep, about four people who go to a sleep clinic and sort of, like, the crazy dreams they have, which mm-hmm. is another kind of madness. Um, but they're all about, like, regular people, like, in our modern world. And so it's, like, a really cool, um, like, melding of themes that pervade uh, British history over time. And <laughs> anyway, I really recommend Middle, Middle England. I'm really enjoying it. Sounds great. I love Book Corner. I do, too. It's my favorite part. Love to read, especially, although I will say, I was, like, in such a rut, I didn't feel I could wait for a new book. So I'm reading this on my Kindle. Which really? Is my second time ever reading an ebook, and I'm loving it. That's great. I was like, should I buy the regular book to also to support publishing and to also have it on my shelf when I'm done? And I was just like, no, I'm not going to do that. Okay. But I considered it. But anyway, yeah, I, I just bought it on my Kindle because I, like, wanted to, like, start right away. I was, like, sick of watching TV, and it's great. What's the first book you read on your Kindle? I've only read one other book. Yeah. It was on an iPad, okay. and it was uh, book three in A Song of Ice and Fire, A Dance okay. of Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> and I did that. I did, have you read all those books? Only book three. Okay. I watched seasons one and two of Game of Thrones, and then I was like, fuck this. Everyone else knows what's going to happen. I want to know, too. So okay. I read book three in is, the— Is book three when the wet, red wedding yes. happens? Okay. It's when the red wedding happens. It's, like, when Lady Stoneheart happens at the end. It's what everyone says is the best one. Oh, I see. And I enjoyed it, but I was like, this is too heavy to carry around. I'll read it as an ebook. Mm-hmm. And that was a good experience. But then I was like, oh, I'll read the next one, which takes you like to Dorn and it's super boring. And I was like, no, I'm done here. Okay. And I, I've only read book three and like okay. five pages That's of book great. four. That's, I don't I, plan I to read you. anymore. Okay. <laughs> I liked it though. Good book. Yeah. It was cool. It was also like before we were at total Game of Thrones saturation. Mm-hmm. So it was like cool to like get inside. Yeah, I have actually read one, the first book of Game of Thrones, because a friend was like, you'll really like West Wing. And I like, I've read all of Harry Potter. I really enjoy the Golden Compass trilogy, which is the Philip Pullman. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, His Dark Materials. I don't know what we're calling it. But HBO is making a version of that show later this year. And so someone was like, oh, I think you'll like this. And it was like a little, there was, I don't think there's literal Dorn in book one, but I think there's metaphorical Dorn even in book one. And I was like, I'm good. Yeah. It was was too much for me. I like efficiency. And also, like, some of the writing is, like, laughably bad. I mean, the world building is incredible. Yeah. But, like, the sex scenes are, like, horrific. Like, mm-hmm. just sort of, like, why do we even need these? To, like, they're so bad. Yeah. But other than that, I, I liked it. It okay. was good. But so anyway, yeah, I'm reading on my Kindle. It's wild. I, I, you know? But I'm I'm enjoying it. And I feel like that's what's actually great about a Kindle is, like, for impulse purchases that you just want to get into right away. Because I, I just bought it for um Netflix, really. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is a cheap way to watch Netflix in bed. Oh, that's smart. Because it, it is, a Kindle is great. It's a Kindle Fire. It's great for, a, like, a TV Tablet? viewing. Yeah. Like, I, it's just for, like, I I've watched, been considering getting one for that purpose. Because, it's great for in bed. Like, I caught up yeah. on Grey's Anatomy that way back in July. I watched Stranger Things exclusively on my Kindle. Like, okay. I thought it's great for that. Is that a, that's the ideal use case. Also really good for shopping on Amazon. I think my only fear is that... I'm that person who wanders into a bookstore and is like, what I need to do now is buy six books. Uh-huh. I mean, you've been to my house. It's just like stacks of books at this point. Yeah. We need some help. We need an intervention. But the only good thing about that is that because I don't have a Kindle, I don't have a tablet when I'm like, well, I need something to read. I actually do have to go shopping in my right. own house. And I do actually end up reading most of the books at some point. Sure. But if I had another thing, then I will just be living among stacks of stacks of books. That's no way to live. It's worth it for the TV viewing, in okay. my opinion. All right. Well... I, I'm still, I'm in a reading phase as a TV phase right now, but I'll keep you posted. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week. <laughs>